Shachtan, an Indo Askelige. Time in Mon Irok the Yen of Chacht Erachor, Agasuligum, a Makan Shaw, Gurfeder Echor, Inuik Kart, Len of Winterfein. Skilti, Fis, Turmi. Tashe Dochretche, Nach Vetok, Ara, Igornamion, and Kestian Echo. Vien Talam again Omgrev, Orkar Nrachtum. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. On this week's Big Tech Show, when will cars safely drive themselves on our streets? And who in Ireland is providing the technology to help them do that? We talk to one of the country's biggest automotive autonomy entrepreneurs. I have BMW Drive Assist in my own vehicle and it is much, much safer because we are all prone to distraction, especially when we're on the motorway from Limerick to Dublin, for example. We've all been there where you actually forgot a whole section of the road. So I would say if you take it from a safety perspective and it does allow you to kind of relax. The Big Tech Show, available on all podcast platforms. They were O'Driscoll, Morgan, extra man, it's Fitzgerald, oh Fitzgerald is coming back inside! Leicester have another! Darcy O'Driscoll through the legs, Rob Carney, out to Fitzgerald again, stamped and scored! Well, apology left wing fans for coming to you 24 hours later than usual, but we decided to delay it to discuss today's Ireland squad announcement. Andy File naming a 37-man panel for the upcoming Six Nations. Some big names who've missed out, albeit James Lowe has suffered an injury, so he won't be able to back up his impressive November. Kieran Frawley, Harry Byrne, Stuart McCluskey, Simon Zeva, Alton Delan, other guys who won't be featuring this spring in the Six Nations, but some exciting names who have made the cut, and we'll discuss that a little later, with Keen Tracy, regular on the show, but first, Luke Fitzgerald's here with me. Luke, how are you? Always an exciting day when the Six Nations squad is announced. Yeah, it is, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, look, I think, um, you know, sports taken a bit of a hammering during COVID, hasn't it? The excitement levels um, just probably haven't been as high, but I think um, I was buzzing for this one because I think they hopefully the restrictions might be eased in most of the countries at that stage. Looks like we're probably hopefully past the worst of this. Uh, this well, I'm hoping they areas. are because I booked a trip to Paris. So like if the if the if the crowds restrictions aren't eased, I'll be out a lot of money. So I'm hoping oh no, that one anyway. yeah, well hopefully they are. Um, I I think it sounds like they might be well from the from the soundings from you know just around uh, the around Europe anyway. Um. So hopefully that's the case. And off the back of that, I'm thinking hopefully we have full houses across the Six Nations, which I still think is the premier competition in rugby bar the World Cup. So uh, really excited. Uh, thought lots of uh, interesting selections. A few of those ones that you named, probably not that surprising that they've been left out. Um, you know, the Alton Delan one, look, he probably doesn't start, you know, he, he hasn't started really anyway whenever he's been selected. So maybe it was easier to leave him out given that he's going to be moving away next year. Um Still annoys me that there's probably one rule for maybe the likes of uh, Johnny Sexton and a different one for maybe a Zebo and a um, a uh, obviously Delan in this case where they're moving abroad they just don't get selected but look that's probably uh, you know, virtue of you know Sexton's important to the to, to the to the team and the position he's playing so um, Cartian's nice to see we'll discuss that a bit I'm sure um, surprise Carberry's in to be honest I like the look of Crowley I thought it might be a nice opportunity to get him in there um, 
So, um, yeah, look at a few other interesting ones. I'm sure we'll delve into a bit more. Probably better to do that when Keen's on. But, yeah, to agree with you, very exciting. The other, obviously, Six Nations squads were, were named yesterday mostly. So, um, England squad is a bit of an interesting one. We're probably not going to get to discuss them until, uh, you know, uh, next week or probably after next week at this stage, maybe the second half of next well, week's show. Yeah, classic Eddie Jones selection, like George Ford having the year of his life, the team at the top of the table, and he picks the out half for Bath, who are having the worst season that they've ever had. Look, whatever it is about Ford, he seems to have rubbed him up the wrong way. He's He's been on fire. I don't, maybe it's an age thing. And he says, you know what? I kind of know. He's only 28. No, but he's obviously going to pick. Oh, sorry, I didn't know that actually. I thought he was a bit older. Jeez, he's been around for ages. Yeah. Um, yeah, I know. But sorry, Farrell is obviously going to be his guy, probably, I think. Um, and uh, it looks to me like he's probably going for other guys who he thinks maybe... Well, sorry, do I amend my original point now that you've given me the proper information about his age? Probably should. But uh, for whatever reason, he's in his bad books. <laughs> I'm going to have to go with that excuse now. It's an odd enough one. But then again, you look at the likes of, you know, the, the Vunapolas, no sign. That's an interesting one, I think. Uh, I wonder, is that the end of them? Although he has been reasonably, you know, he's a pretty fickle guy in terms of the selections at times. Um, so that's probably an interesting one too, Will. Uh, probably gone with some of the form players, uh, your Don Brands and, and, and guys like that. So that's an interesting team. Um, and uh, we wait and see on that. I'm really, really excited to see that 23, actually. I really want to see who he picks uh, for, because I think he's such an interesting selector, isn't he? Uh, French team was was uh, strong, looked strong. I think they're probably, are they the favourites for the competition? I think they probably are, um, given their performances in November. And uh, they look like they've got a reasonable amount of continuity in that selection. You know, the way the French selection is going to be a bit mad. So, yeah, exciting couple of days, Will. And uh, really looking forward now to uh, this weekend's Heineken Cup games. And then we're straight into Six Nations, which is a real... You know, I'm really looking forward to that now. Um, you know, we'll kick into gear for that. And um, hopefully COVID doesn't have too much of an impact. Yeah, well, we're delighted to welcome Keen Tracy back to the show for the first time in 2022. Keen, how are things? Hey, lads. It feels probably we're too far gone to say Happy New Year. But um, will I say it anyway? Yeah, Happy New Year. Yeah, go for it. No, happy, many happy returns. Good to have you back on the show. As always, a lot to talk about. Plenty of Champions Cup action between last weekend and this weekend to sink our teeth into over the next little while. The first Ireland squad was named today, Keen. The players who were out from November, James Lowe, who suffered an injury, as well as Kieran Frawley, Harry Byrne, McCluskey, Simon Zebo, and Ulton Delan. And then the players who were in, Jack Carty, Mac Hanson, Michael Lowry, Kieran Treadwell, and Keen Prendergast have come in as a development player. What did you make of the squad? Anything standing out for you? Um, yeah, like I suppose my, my, my idea around every time an Ireland squad is named, it's to focus on the players who are there rather than the ones who are not, because it's so easy to get outraged by who isn't there, but I think it's a good squad. I don't think there was ever going to be too many shocks or surprises when you consider how many players Andy Farrell has brought in since he's taken charge and, and obviously how well Ireland did last year. So I think it was along expected lines. It's obviously tough enough on James Lowe from what I hear. We're recording the pod on Wednesday. He picked up an injury in training uh, with Leinster on Tuesday, which rules him out. So that's a tough blow for him. Obviously, Matt Hansen uh, benefits from that. Um, he has obviously been out injured himself as well, so he's got a bit of ground to make up. I think his defence needs a bit of work. Uh, that'll be one of the key things I think he'll be working on with Andy Farrell when he comes into the squad. I think Michael Lowry certainly deserves his place in the Ireland squad. You look at his performance last weekend, and that wasn't a once-off. He's been playing really, really consistently well for Ulster at fullback, so delighted to see him get a shot. Um, 
I I think the biggest surprise for me in terms of inclusions, I have to say, is Kieran Treadwell. Um, didn't see that coming. I think he's won three caps, all three of them on the summer tour in 2017. Has kind of been in a, been in a couple of squads since, but never really been close to to featuring really. Um, yeah, a bit a bit of surprise there. He's jumped ahead of a couple of guys like Ross Maloney, Finian Witcherly, even someone like Thomas Ahern, Jean Klein. So, um, like fair play to him, but. I think even when Ulster's locks are all fit, I'm not sure he's first choice. Like he's been a bit inconsistent. So um, he's done well, I think, to, to make the squad. Obviously, Alton Delan not being in there is, I think, purely down to the fact that he's heading to France, likely to La Rochelle next season. Some people might say that's harsh, but I think that was always going to be the case once he once he committed his future away from Ireland. That's just the way the IRFU's policy is. So a um, lot to be excited about as well. And you consider, you know, the players who are already there. I think overall, I think it's it's a really good squad. Yeah, Luke, anything jumping out to you? Not particularly. Like I think Craig Casey might be a little bit lucky, although he's come into some form of late, but I don't think he's actually been playing very well. Uh, I like him a lot as a player, actually. But, um, yeah, that one there. I think, look, Matt Hansen, um, yeah, like he'd have to be working hard in his defence with Andy Farrell. I mean, he's been so exciting with ball in hand. Um, but he gets in uh, by virtue of an injury to to um, uh, James Lowe, who's done some um, some, some some great work um, on his uh, defence. And I think on his, he was a kind of integral part of uh, the, the Irish effort in November. He really looks to have turned things around. Um, Bundy Aki is a lucky boy. Um, very surprised that he hasn't got some kind of sanction for that behaviour. Um, delighted to see Larry in there as well. Um, you know, he's a small guy, but geez, he's very exciting with ball in hand. And um, it was nice to see him finish off a few lovely bits of play. I, and actually, sorry, there was more than just finishing off a bit of play. There were some lovely, lovely tries he scored um you know uh last weekend so that was really nice to see that because Northampton's a tricky place to go away and win and they're actually playing quite well in the prem so uh that was a big win for them um other than that no like the forwards is kind of uh, I'd be like Treadwell's the only one that probably sticks out um I think it looks like it'll you know there won't be much movement uh from the team that played in November bar obviously low being out so um yeah, interesting to see now how they all come together. They need to do that pretty quickly. Uh, lots of players will be, I think, pretty undercooked. I mean, you know, the, the, the squad is made up of a vast majority of, you know, kind of Leinster players. And, you know, I, I don't think Montpellier is any kind of way to for, for, for guys to prepare for a Six Nations. I think we can all probably agree on that. So that'll be the key test for them is whether they can come together pretty quickly with, you know, very limited game time. A um, few experienced heads like Sexton and that, I think, would be, you know, that'll be fine for them. He's done that on a number of occasions. But some of the younger cohort, um, that might be a challenge. So wait and see how all that kind of pans out and, and who gets selected. Um, but uh, that seems to me to be the real key challenge for this squad is how they cope with uh, lots of people who are undercooked, in my opinion. Yeah, we might follow some of the squad talking points into the Heineken Cup chat generally. And we might as well, Keen, start with Leinster, considering we haven't seen them play in so long. And uh, albeit, as Luke mentioned there, the, the Montpellier game was the, the only real interest in it was to see if they could match a couple of old, long standing Champions Cup records, which I think they, they broke their own record for biggest win anyway. Um, like nothing to take from it, really. Like they, 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 they scored 89 points, and I still thought they were a little bit sloppy. They were rusty, naturally. It had been a long time since they played. You know, what, what, like what, 
how do you assess that? Ugh, I mean, what, like, what can you say about it? The one thing I will say is I, I knew you'd be the man for the, the stats, Will, so I was following your Twitter uh, as soon as I saw Leinster racking in the tries. I knew you'd have, have it to hand. Well, it, it's funny because when I was thinking about it, I, I was like... Is it the highest winning margin, like, Will, or is it the highest score? I don't. It, it was the most... It was the, No, because they scored 92 points against Borgwan yeah. in 2004, but they okay, conceded... Okay, okay, all right, games. okay. Fair enough. Flashback to my childhood, and I was like, I vaguely recall Lancer scoring 92 points. And then I was like, that couldn't, that couldn't have been right. And then I looked it up and I was like, Jesus, David Hallwell scored 29 points in one game. Uh, but yeah, sorry, I digress. Just to clarify there, I, I was very confused. I was thinking, geez, it's very unlike Wheel to get a stat wrong, but you were talking about winning margins. So that's yeah, thanks the for biggest winning margin. The third greatest <laughs> winning margin in the tournament history, I believe. Yeah, look, it is. It's a tricky one, though, Keen, is it? Like, I I mean. I thought they looked really sloppy in the first half. There was lots of people kind of throwing, um, kind of similar to Munster a little bit, actually, like in really good positions, um, you know, whether it be in the 22 or from a break, and some real sloppy play. Um, now, it didn't really matter for Leinster, but it kind of nearly mattered for, for Munster. But sorry, to touch on Leinster, what did you think about that first half? Or probably the second half of the first half was excellent. But what did you think about the first half? Uh, yeah, I the first half. I think it was inevitable, really. Like, I mean, considering they hadn't played in so long and they probably got just dragged down to Montpellier's level a little bit. But look, they found their feet. I don't think it's it's a major concern. Really, guys were just obviously, you know, really eager to to impress. I think, you know, it was interesting. Like, Leinster still spent the same amount of time in yesterday's review session going through it as they would have any any other game. But I think one of the biggest interesting things that came out of it is a point that Felipe Contabomi was touching on yesterday that the ball and play time was almost 40 minutes um, in the game. And Montpellier have been averaging just below half an hour, 30 minutes in the top 14. So as Contabomi said, they took them, they took them to the kill zone and they just absolutely destroyed them. I mean, the, the team that even finished was more like an Esquire's academy team but that's not Leinster's problem I think it's a terrible look for the for the competition and you know it's Leo Cullen is obviously still really angry about the 28-0 win that they had to give Montpellier and I've always kind of thought this in the back of my mind that I think Leinster are a bit more pissed off because it's Montpellier of all teams because they're a team who haven't really you know given their all to the Heineken Cup ever really you know so I think that that's what hurt them even more because you know, it was a club that there's a club that don't take this competition seriously and, and that has to sting. So um, it could come back to bite them further along in the tournament, depending on seedings uh, and things like that. But look, Leinster are in good shape. Um, the biggest concern coming out of it was obviously Tyg Furlong's injury. And that's probably something worth mentioning in re- regard to the Six Nations squad too. Like Andy Farrell has named Furlong in there, which is great. James Ryan, Jordan Larmer, obviously those three guys had their issues last week. But also Joey Carberry and Ian Henderson, who, who are obviously still currently injured too. So there's a few fitness, I guess, issues hanging over a few players in, in the Ireland squad. But the medics and Andy Farrell are obviously confident that they're going to recover in time. I was going to say, as soon as I saw, like, you know, positive soundings about Furlong and Lammer, I just immediately thought they were going to be ruled out for six months, given the way the injury updates often go with these things. that they, You can get one real positive update, oh, you know, they're, they're on the men, and then you don't... Like, Will Connors went, twisted his knee in the Six Nations during, last year, and we were told it was, a you know, just a, a little bit of a knee knock. He didn't play for, like, eight months. Like, that's the kind of injury updates you often get. 
And I think especially like considering Furlong has had a calf injury last year as well, which obviously kept him out for a while. But look, he was out in the pitch after full time. You could see him walking around. And even when Contopomi was asked about him yesterday, like the question was put to him that, oh, like, will he be fit for the Six Nations? And he kind of laughed and said, well, we haven't ruled him out of this weekend. Now, even if he doesn't play this weekend, I'd probably be surprised if he does. They don't really need to play him, especially because someone like Michael Alatoa, I thought was brilliant when he came on for Furlong last week. Obviously, not up against much, but he looked, he looks like he's really finding his feet as well. So yeah, look, Leinster could have, it'll obviously be tough for him bat this weekend, but they could go there and put on another big score. I think the issue for Leinster is they're kind of, you know, they're going to breeze through the pool stages without having had a proper test. And I think the questions that we've spoken about so often on the podcast, we spoke about it in the preview at the start of the season is have they learned their lessons from like the Saracens defeats and the La Rochelle defeat last season? I don't think they're going to be answered until we get to the business end of the season. And maybe that's the biggest concern for Leinster that they're, they're going to be undercooked by the time they do face a better, bigger, more physical team. Yeah. And if, if Ty Furlong does face a spell in the sidelines, it would be interesting to see if they move Porter back to tight head or if they keep a loose head and maybe start Finley Bealham or, or what they might do. But as you say, Finley hopefully. Finley playing excellent rugby. Yeah. Mm, I agree. Yeah. Rugby. And that's not just because of that terrible haircut that I think I'm spotting him. He looks like he's really playing like very, very good rugby at the moment. Um, Actually, for quite a while, actually. Is that, would you agree? To- totally agree. And I think, you know, it's Will talks about, you know, switching Porter back. I just really don't think they should do that. I think Finley Bealham has benefited from uh, Connacht haven't been switching him back and forth because he has been doing that for a while. I mean, you think back to the Georgia game um, a couple of years ago and they put him back onto the, the opposite side of the scrum and it didn't go well for him at all. So I think he's really benefiting from having more time at tight head and Connacht certainly are reaping the awards of that too. I agree with you. I think he's been going really well. And Luke, just in terms of Leinster generally, you know, some of the points Keane made there about maybe being a bit undercooked, and you said it yourself, like that performance at the weekend or that whole spectacle against a very weak Montpellier team and thrashing them so comprehensively, is it, is it just about kind of blowing off the cobwebs after being inactive for so long? You know, what, what what's your kind of assessment of where Leinster are at now? Yeah, like, it's, you know, it's a little... Um... I'm just a little concerned. Like, there was people getting out of the way of the tackles for them, you know, in, in the Montpellier team. Like those kind of games, there's just no real physicality in it. So I think it was really hard to get a good idea about who was actually really playing well. Um, so yeah, difficult. Like, look, some of the guys look pretty sharp. Like, I still think those two hookers are just class, aren't they? Um, they're so exciting to watch. Um, really excited to see if Sheehan gets it. Like, I mean, Kelleher is brilliant, but like, Sheehan looks, he's so good. He looks chunky as well. Look, he looks like a big man. Re- reminds me very much of a Dane Coles in terms of the pace, but also how he looks, his body shape. So he's a very exciting talent there. Um, and yeah, like, I mean, look, what, what stands out from it? I, like, I think um, you just wonder, like, there's a, there's a kind of a respect and uh, for, for the ball particularly, actually, that's very important in international rugby that you just won't get in a game like that. Um, I thought Leicester were a little bit sloppy at times. We're looking for offloads. There wasn't much kind of fight from the Montpellier team in the tackle area, but also in the rook. Um, and you, you do want to have a certain level of sharpness in those physical encounters, particularly at the start of the Six Nations, uh, when the game is a little bit tighter. Um, so it would be a little bit of a concern for me, uh, probably why I mentioned it at the start. Um, you know, and I'd say as well, I'd be interested to see this, this kind of situation of 10 that's unfolding. Uh, very, we probably should have mentioned it. Like Jack Hardy back in, in, in the squad is, 
is probably a good thing to see. I'm never really convinced about him at this level, but he's been brilliant for Connacht and I think definitely deserves it. But Carberry back in straight away. I mean, what, what like I, I don't, I'm not sure I get that. I don't know if I get that one. Um, and I thought the two, I, I mean, I really like the look at Crowley and I, I thought there's probably a nice opportunity for him to get in there because Cardi's definitely going to be playing second fiddle at this point, I think. Um, particularly if, you know, if you have your two tens not having played rugby in a couple of months, like Cardi's definitely got to be on the bench, I think, for you uh, because you're going to have to have someone who's kind of match hardened. Um, so, yeah, that's, um, you know, I was just wondering, would, would, would Crowley have got to go in that, in, in that Six Nations squad? I really like to look at him. I like, I like Healy too, but that's an area probably of concern uh, when maybe I think of Leinster and Sexton not getting much game time um, or having no game time in Carberry as well. Probably two of the standouts uh, will in, in terms of what I'm, what I, you know, when I think in Ireland, because the bigger picture for me at the moment is Ireland, you know? Yeah, well, Keen, speaking of Carty and, and Connacht, obviously that game was the game of the weekend, you know, 28-10 up after, I think, 58-60 minutes, I briefly switched over to Racing Ospreys. And when I turned back turned back over, the game had taken a decidedly different turn. You know, what what... What's your view on what went wrong for Connacht? We'll come on to Cardi down in a minute, but just starting off on that, what was your view on how they let that slip? Yeah, it was tough. Like, what was it, an 18-point lead, I mean, that they let slip. They they probably just stopped playing and stopped, you know, doing what they do well. I think it's the one, well, the, like, Connacht are, are not the, the full the full product yet, but I, or the full article, but I think it's that top level of seeing out games at the top level of Europe against the best teams. That is what they're, they're kind of really, they need to add to their game. And, you know, they went for, for both games, they played lesser home and away. They went toe to toe to them, but ultimately came up short in, in both of them in very different circumstances, obviously got torn apart in the scrum over at Welford road. That was a bit of an issue last week as well. So, but there was, there was circumstance in that. I think, you know, Jack Anger came on and also picked up a knock too. So, um, I was on the Connacht press conference call today with Andy Friend and, you know, he was kind of saying that there, there was a lot of soul searching. But look, I think they're, they're, they have to take a glass half full approach to it. Um, they're going to stad this weekend and it's mad to think that they've never been in the knockout stages of the, the Heineken Cup. Now, I know it's obviously extended this year, so they have a better chance. And look, they are going to be barring a disaster that cast, you know, topple harlequins um in london they're they're going to be true come come sunday afternoon before they play so um i think they just have to turn the page uh, i think you're right that we i think it says a lot that actually that you asked both of us about the Ireland squad and neither of us mentioned jack carty um because i think it was just so it was it was a given i think that he he had to get a call back in i think you know, he hasn't played under Andy Farrell since he's taken over, hasn't played since uh, the, the 2019 World Cup game. But I think him getting called into the squad last November as injury cover um, was really important. I think that kind of showed that he was on his way back in. He's taken the coach's advice on board. I, I think he's a more mature player. I think he's really benefited from taking on the captaincy from Connacht this season. Um, you'd be very surprised if Joey Carberry will be fit enough to even be on the bench for a game like this, the opening Six Nations game. But I think just on Luke's point, I think I think you're starting to see now kind of Andy Farrell's squad and like building towards the World Cup and who he kind of wants to be there. I think Craig Casey is another one, you know, excuse me, Kieran Marmion is very unlucky not to be in the squad, but Andy Farrell clearly sees something in Craig Casey. I don't think he's been playing 
that badly. I just think he's probably hampered by the style of play that, that Munster playing. He's been asked to do things that just don't play to his strengths. But I think Andy Farrell is maybe looking at the bigger picture here and, and what he can offer. So, um, yeah, like I think we're starting to see the shape of the, the, the World Cup squad. I mean, all going well. Obviously, there's so many things that can happen by the time we get there. But the fact that Ireland and Andy Farrell have made no secret that that's what they're building towards and like, you know, they're not shying away from it saying we'll take it one campaign at a time. I think we're starting to see kind of what the plan is going forward to France 2023. Yeah. Keane Prendergast, another iconic player who's been rewarded with a place, albeit as a development player. So he won't probably won't feature you'd presume. Uh, yeah, look, look, for Connacht, you know, it's funny. I feel like the way they lost that game with the big lead and, and the last second try, I feel like of all the provinces, they're the, they're the one province that seem to be like involved in those sorts of games like quite regularly where they might be pipped at the post after looking like they put it away, whereas the other provinces, when they lose, it might be slightly different fashion. Like, you know, Leinster have been maybe out-muscled the last couple of years. Munster have maybe been a bit conservative in their big games and it's come back to bite them. Ulster sometimes just don't turn up. I feel like with Connacht, a lot of times, they could have some great streaks in games and then at the last second, things can just go against them sometimes. Uh, yeah, I think they're still a little bit loose. Like, I think if you think back on the game, I thought I thought some of their, their one-on-one tackling was poor at key moments. Um, that really let them down. Like, Because I think I felt like they had kind of big defensive efforts for portions, but then another part, like, I think they've got a, like, I think back in the Leinster game in, in, in the RDS as well, like, they actually had some really good sets in defence. But then other parts, they just completely fell apart. And um, I kind of thought Leicester took advantage of that. I thought that obviously Leicester's mall was very good as well. And they looked under pressure there. Um, you know, I feel like there, there's a lot there. I think it's a concentration thing with them sometimes, uh, particularly when I looked at the personnel. Like it wasn't a complete mismatch for some of the missed tackles. It was oftentimes just poor technique. Um, and I felt like a lack of concentration. Um so that's why I think they're kind of involved in those kind of games, Will, because I think the only thing that's very consistent about them actually is their attack. I think they're everything. They're, they're inconsistent in a lot of other areas. Um, and I think if they can improve those things, I think they start winning more of those games. Um, I also feel at times they can be a little bit loose with their discipline. Um, in some respects, I think there's obviously, it was very obvious the way Bundy Aki approached the referee after the game. They're, 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 they do need to have a look at that. And they can give up kind of easy penalties when they're under pressure as well sometimes when they don't have to. Um, but I think maybe the, the discipline is something that, that, that if they could get that right as well and just tighten up and keep the concentration longer in defence, I think they become a really difficult prospect because I think from, from an attack perspective, they're right up there. Like, I think they can really play with the best of them. They've, like, they've got some flair players, but all their pack as well. They've lots of good carriers. They're generally pretty you know, stingy with the ball. They can hold on to it for long periods of time. Um, so I think if they can get through, I don't think you'd like to face Connacht because I think they can, you know, if they if they get their tails up, they're very difficult to stop an attack. I think one of the the, the points about it is, uh, just to touch on what Luke's saying there, I think it's a, a lot of it is mental as well. It's just kind of having that experience of having been in those big games to be able to see them out. I think you can see it. There's a cohort of players like, you know, Niall Murray, and you mentioned Keen Prendergast too. To be fair, he's probably unlucky he's not in the full the full squad the way he's been playing. He looks like an outstanding prospect. Um, so those guys don't have any fear, but maybe for the older guys who, you know, are they burdened by the fact that, you know, Connacht have never been in the knockout stages of a Heineken, Heineken Cup. So maybe that plays into their minds as well. And I think 
there's so much at stake for them this weekend. Like I said, you know, they should get through by, you know, beating Stad. But I think that could have a huge knock-on effect. I think it gets a monkey off their back as well that, you know, because the club themselves have been putting pressure on them as well. Even in the build-up to the game, I noticed kind of under social media that they were, you know, hyping up that, you know, how it was going to be a historic occasion and that. So I think getting that monkey off their back could be could be massive in the long run for them too. Yeah, and I've been crunching possible permutations for knockout uh ties and Connacht there's a good chance they could be playing maybe an Irish team in the last 16 depending on if they win in stat or if they get a losing bonus point and if Leinster or Ulster look like they're going to finish up towards the top of the opposite pool so you could have an all-Irish affair in the last 16 as well but Luke you mentioned the Bundyaki um, thing there I was very surprised that he wasn't uh, cited you know astonished really like, like it's it, it's funny I was talking to Tommy Bow on Monday morning about this and you know I think we both feel that you know for quite a while, rugby's been slipping a little bit in this area. Like lots of talk to the referee, lots of back chat. Um, you know, probably just too much interaction from people outside of the captain with the referee. Um, and I think this is kind of a particularly bad one. So I was I was amazed that he wasn't cited. Like to talk to the referee like that when you're not the captain is. Well, I think it's unacceptable. Well, even if you were the like captain, that... to be honest, even if you were the captain, I don't think it would have been much better. No, no, sorry. But like even, yeah. look, sometimes those conversations can be a bit more robust um, and that's probably acceptable once the referee's engaging. But I don't know. I just felt like it was, um, that's a slipping standard in the game for, for quite a while. And I think that was an opportunity to say, particularly to all the young kids out there, that doesn't happen in rugby. You get cited for that. That's, you know... That it, it's it's kind of a fairly egregious crime in the game. It's almost as bad as in terms of a ban or whatever. I kind of feel like it's one of those ones, almost like a a high tackle type, type ban or a dirty play type ban. So um, look, I was amazed that they didn't take action. I think he's a lucky boy to be in the squad. Um, and uh, look, it's great for Ireland because he's such a good player. But uh, it's uh, I think it was a, it was poor, a bad missed opportunity by the by the authorities. It's worth, it's worth it's it's worth mentioning now that he did get a, an official warning today from the siding. Official warning. She's got three of them. Like, or was it? Was it three of them before he actually goes in front of the? Yeah, siding? I don't know. Look, he 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 came out. He apologized. It was a heated moment. He put his Listen, hands up. That's the slipping standards, man. That's like what it's like. That's what that's when you talk to soccer fans and they're like, oh, you know, that's the passion within the game. And then you fucking ten minutes waiting around while twenty two guys are surrounding the referee. Like that's the slipping standards we're talking about. Like I I I actually feel quite passionate about this one. Um, I think it's a really bad mistake. You can't talk to the referee like that. You can't do. We can't let that slip into the game, no matter how high the tensions get. It's it was something that was always great about rugby, and I I just think it's bad that they're they're letting that slip. Yeah, Sorry, no, Keen. I I, no, feel, I I obviously feel strongly about it. No, no, absolutely, and I'm not condoning it for a second. I'm just making the point that he did get a warning today, and that he did put his hands up straight away afterwards. Look, he did a moment, but I'm not condoning it either. I think he made a mistake. He knew he made a mistake, but. I think, you know, we move on. Uh, but like but tweeting and saying you made a mistake, you know, what, like, you know, why should that mean you shouldn't get a ban? You know what I mean? Like, as in players do that all the time. You, like, if you say you made a mistake with a high tackle, that doesn't mean you shouldn't get a ban for it. Like, I, as I, I would agree with Luke that I was very surprised given the way he spoke to him. And I suppose it shouldn't really make a difference, but that he was so wrong as well. Like, as in he was yeah. completely wrong. You know, obviously, that shouldn't matter. If you're talking to the referee appropriately, you're inappropriate. But it's just that he got the whole thing completely arseways as well. Which, in fairness, you couldn't really tell if you were sitting in the ground. But uh, obviously... We but it's why you it. shouldn't even be talking to the referee anyway. Like, it's... Oh, anyway. I thought it was... I, I actually annoyed me. I, I When I saw that today, I was like, 
they're gonna they're gonna wimp out of that one with the the, the narrative around the apology was just yeah anyway look it is what it is and like sorry from an Irish perspective I'm delighted but I think from a rugby perspective it's a bad miss well, he's available to play against uh, Stade Francais this weekend as well. As Keith mentioned, a big chance for them to get a big scalp in France. Uh, moving on to Ulster, Keane, a, a team who were very impressive in Northampton at the weekend, you know, backing up their other European victories so far. Obviously, they're coming off that disappointing game against Munster, so there was question marks about how they would go over in Northampton. But, you know, as you mentioned earlier, the back line was really humming. Like Robert Balakoon had a great game. You know, with James Lowe being ruled out, a spot in the wing opens up. But I know he, he usually plays in the right wing, but maybe with some rejigging, he, he he might feature Michael Lowry, another person who played really well, James Hume, going well again. You know, were we impressed with them? Yeah, really, really impressed. Um, what, I think the average age of their backline was just under 23. Um, yeah, super impressed. I think Balakun. I would start Balakun, I think, against Wales. Uh, I think I, I'm just, he has it all, really. You look at the athletic profile of him, the frame. He's a really good defender, like top end speed, superb footwork. Um, I think it's kind of time to start now putting him into the, putting him into the starting team. I think he's fully, fully justified. Um, I've seen a lot of chat around, probably particularly, maybe it was on BT when I was watching it the other day that um, Ulster dark horses for the Heineken Cup. I'm I'm not I'm not all in at all on this Ulster hype. And like I said, I think it's only coming from certain quarters, but maybe people aren't watching Ulster regularly enough. But you know, they beat Northampton. Um to be fair, I did say before they played Northampton at home that Northampton would put up um a good show, or maybe that was for the racing game, actually. Um but Northampton are no great shakes themselves either. I think Ulster played really well, and I'm not taking anything away from them, but I would sort of temper the expectations and hype around them. Um, I still think they have problems in their front five. Um, probably goes back to why I was surprised that Treadwell got into the, the Ireland squad. Um, I think once they come up again against one of the bigger powerhouses later in the tournament, I think they'll run into trouble. Um, the only they, thing just to come in on just come in on their dark horse potential, and I agree, them winning it is a very long shot, but the position they're in now with, with three wins from three and potentially going for four from four at home to Claremont is they have the inside track potentially for those home games and the knockouts, and they're, they're very difficult. at the, the European record Ravenhill is as good as any Europe, uh, home record in Europe. They, they've lost very few games there over the last five seasons or so, so, you know, they could actually, you know, I'd fancy them against most teams in Ravenhill. I actually would. Yeah, no, and, and again, I'm not like I'm not. I'm trying. I'm trying not to take anything away from them. I'm like I'm so impressed with with their backline, and considering that Stuart McCloskey, who's such a key cog in their wheel, like is missing as well. Um, and like I don't even think we've seen the best of Dwayne Vermeulen yet. I think he's been like solid, but I don't think we've. I think there's plenty more to come from him. But I would still have reservations about uh, Billy Burns at ten. I know he played quite well last week, but I just don't think you're going to win a Champions Cup uh, with Billy Burns at out half. And I know that's sounds very harsh but that's just how how I feel I think someone like Nathan Doak has slotted in really well instead of John Cooney big boost to fill but um yeah like I think fair play to them was it was a cracking result and I wouldn't be surprised if they beat Claremont at home this weekend as well but once they run into a bigger team in Europe I think they're going to be in trouble one thing Luke to get your opinion on you know Billy Burns is someone we've talked about a lot in the show and you know people may be thinking he has certain limitations Michael Lowry is a guy who's playing very well recently and he's he was on record very recently saying that he wants to play out half he sees himself as an out half primarily you know what do you think about that is that something you think could be a big benefit if he moved in there played very well potentially giving them another option you just need time in there though 
Like, I, I just really feel like I kind of felt that way about uh, Joey Carberry moving down. Now, he's probably, you know, not a great example because obviously he's, you know, had so many injury problems. But I felt like he just didn't get enough time in Leinster to really warrant the move down to, you know, such a huge club in Munster. It was a lot of pressure on his shoulders. Um, and Larry, you need to play there. Like, Billy Burns, for whatever reason, uh, Dan McFarland just likes him. He, he, I would feel the same. You know how I feel about Billy Burns. I just don't think he's up to it. Um, uh, at this level, I think he's de- I think he's good in patches. I think he's got a nice little tidy kicking game, you know, cross field kicks and that. Uh, decent passing game, but I just don't feel like he has. Um, I don't feel like he's got an X factor, and I don't feel like he's even good enough to be, um, you know, kind of solid at all the things you need to be solid at. Plus, he's not even a place kicker, so I don't like. I don't get the Billy Burns thing, if I'm being honest. Uh, and that's a really brutal assessment of, of, of someone who's a, a pro rugby player. I feel awful saying that. I, I genuinely do. Um, but I just don't... It just doesn't do it for me as a player. I just don't rate him that highly. Um, Larry, if he wants to do that, you've got to play in there. You've got to get the minutes. You've got to feel the heat of a good defence coming at you relentlessly for 80 minutes. And he hasn't. Got, he's not going to be doing that. It's just a completely different... Uh, position that you're playing at full back now from his perspective it might be good because i think will addison you know probably comes in with the rise of hume in that in, in the center along with mccluskey when addison comes back i think he goes to full back and i think you know where does larry fit in then he might be playing if he can, can continues to play, to play the way he's playing they might find somewhere else for addison but i don't think that'll be the case and i think stockdale comes back balacoon looks like the long-term option on the wing mcelroy i like too so I think those slots are taken. So where does he go? I think probably the, the weakest part of the Ulster backline is 10. Um, for whatever reason, I don't know what Ian Madigan has done, but he doesn't seem to be being considered. Uh, I know he's had some injury trouble at the start of the season, but that that 10 slot seems to be up for grabs. If I was Larry long-term, I'd be thinking that might be my best option. So uh, maybe that's why he's saying that. Um, maybe he's had a look at that and, and at the situation there and thought that's, that might be my best option to, to, to solidify a place. But for whatever reason, they just keep picking uh, Billy Burns. And I think it'll be to their detriment when it comes to the key stages of any kind of competition. Um, I, God, I feel off. I, I genuinely didn't like saying that. about. <laughs> I feel like I really decimated him, but I just don't. I think it's a mistake Ulster picking or c- continuing to pick him. It's not going to change either because they just recently no. they just recently gave Billy Burns a new contract. So look, it is the way... It is. I think Will is spot on to mention the fact that Lowry's been on record as saying it. He played there in school and I think he possibly won an Ulster Cup, uh, Schools Cup as well. But, and Luke, you touched on a good point there that the issue for Ulster is that they have never had their, I don't think they've ever had their first choice backline fit, uh, primarily because Will Addison has been out so much, Stockdale has been out. So I think if you had everyone fit, I think it would be very, very interesting. But I think Luke, Luke is spot on to say that you know, if if Addison was fit in the morning and they put him into fullback, you can't just drop Michael Lowry into out half and say, OK, you steer us there against Toulouse or whatever in a Champions Cup quarterfinal. It just doesn't really work like that. So I think if he is going to be an option there, I think you've got to start blooding him, blooding him in there. And I think it'd be worth a look. I know he's quite small and that could be an issue on the defensive line. But if you've got someone like Stuart McCloskey outside of you, no better man to have, you know, there to, to provide a bit of, bit of protection. So um, it's a good it's a good option to have. And like, I'm a bit surprised that maybe they haven't looked at it more. But then again, when you see how well he's playing from fullback and the threat he gives you from the backfield, maybe it's no surprise that they're happy to keep him there as well. 
But Burns is yeah, obviously no. a, a kind of guy of good character. There's no doubt about that. Mm. Like he's very well liked, clearly. Uh, I could see him being kind of not a coach's pet per se, but you know what I mean? Like he, I could see him being a guy that you're like, oh, do you know what? We like having him around the setup. He could be a great trainer, could be a good talker, could be a good personality to have around the team. Like I think he has captained them on a, on a few occasions. So, um, you know, he, he's a guy maybe who, who has, who's kind of maybe a very smart rugby player or something like that. Um, and that's why he continues to get selected there. The coach might like that. He might like him being his general on the pitch because maybe they vibe off the pitch better than say others there. But um, yeah, it, it's an interesting conundrum for Larry going forward. Um, particularly given how well he's playing, because I think I've, I've come to really like Addison as a player. I, I was really, I really think he looks like a, a really good rugby player. The more I watch him, obviously he's been injured a lot. Um, but um, I was forming the view that he was a very good player before he, he can, you know, got kind of gone through this bad injury uh, run, you know? So I think he might get ahead of Larry if he comes back. So interesting times for him. Yeah, King, just to wrap up on Ulster, the, the news of Jacob Stockdale is out for the season now. Obviously, a big blow to him and to Ulster. Like it, it leaves him in a in a in a obviously a bad place. But also, you know, he he's kind of a bit in limbo because he played the first game of the season, and then again with these injury updates, we were told he had an ankle knock, and then he just never came back. You know, did he disappear off the face of the earth? And then finally this year, we it's revealed that or this week that he won't be playing again for the rest of the season. A lot of players have come and passed him by while he's been out injured. Like it'll be a tough fight for him now you know it only he'll be back one season before that world cup it'll be it'll be a tough fight for him now yeah i suppose like i mean i injury updates are harder and harder to come by these days but the ulster injury updates are just they're crazy like they're they, they just say nothing in them uh it was actually stockdale who put it up um on social media um uh, himself earlier this week now to be fair ulster then said the following day that he had surgery but I don't know if they would have said that unless he hadn't put it up on his Instagram account. So that's where you're at. Like, I mean, you're actually looking at players' Instagram accounts to see, like, is there any kind of updates here? It's absolutely mad. But that's the world we live in. That's just a, a journalist, uh, journalist gripe. But um, yeah, like it is. I mean, geez, you think back like 2018 seems like a long time ago now, doesn't it? When like everything he touched turned to gold. But like he's still young enough. Like it's we're not talking about a guy who's like in his late 20s, you know, hitting into his 30s. He's still got time in his hands. I wouldn't be writing him off at all. I think McElroy has done really well, like Luke said, since he's come in, really good footwork. And I, and Dan McFarland had said he'd been chatting to Andy Farrell about him too. So obviously he's in our, the Ireland, you know, wider selection too. So um, I think Stockdale just needs to probably take time now to get this ankle injury injury right. It's obviously been at him for a while um, and just come back fresh for next season and hopefully get a run. And if he does, I think there's plenty of time for him to to get into a World Cup squad or whatever it is and to even be potentially starting on the team. Obviously, he's got a few issues to sort out in, in his game, but we saw the improvements that James Lowe has made defensively. There's no reason why someone like Stockdale can't do the same. Yeah, a big couple of months ahead to get fit uh, for the start of next season. To finish up on Munster now, Keane, their win over cast. You were over there. The big the big trip to France. I think your first road trip possibly since before COVID, was it? First first road trip since the Ireland-England game in the 2026 Nations. Well, you could have sent me to Timbuktu and I would have been absolutely delighted <laughs> to have been on a plane and going to watch a rugby match abroad again. Um, yeah, not the most glamorous spot in the world. Cast, you've probably been there, Luke, have you? Um, yeah. Not the most glamorous spot, but like I said, I would have went happily went anywhere at all and been delighted to be covering rugby abroad. What did you make of, of the performance, the, the win? Obviously, they got the, the job done at the very end, but given the cast had made so many changes, it was a pretty, you know, 
d- disappointing performance considering you know, the chances they had, you know, the, the, the five meter line and sort of squandered the, the, the missed opportunities in 22. What, what was your assessment? Yeah, I think like I think when you're there, like same as any game, you lads know, like when you're at a game, you probably have a different perception of it than when you're watching it um, on TV. Um, like Cast is such an old school rugby club. Like it was like really cool to be there. Actually, you kind of you go into the press box and they're kind of giving you wine and beer and you're like, oh, no, no, I'm OK. But they're absolutely insistent on that. You have a glass of wine. Um, and then just before kickoff, a cheese board comes around with like the type of cheeses. I don't know what kind of cheese you eat in your house, but I certainly hadn't seen the type of cheese that were on this board. So it was just the most <laughs> French cultured thing ever. Um, and then when you thought you'd seen it all, then the, the club president comes into the press box and goes around and gives everyone a fist bump uh, before the match. Like it was just... Yeah, it was just very different to how we do things here, but I was certainly uh, all on board for the for for what they were laying on for the journalists. But um, yeah, like so, the pitch. First of all, the pitch was awful. Uh, even before kickoff, it was absolutely awful. Um, by the time the second half started, the temperatures had dropped to minus three, which obviously you're not going to see on TV. So the conditions were very tricky. It wasn't a full capacity because of the French have restrictions as well, but like it was still pretty pretty hostile there. But um. Munster made such hard work of it. I think it was different to previous games when we've been very critical of them for their attack. And I'm not going to praise their attack, like in a sense, but I think there was intent there. You could see that they were trying things. It was actually just execution of what they were trying to do. I think really let them down. They had a good few loose offloads, a couple of poor decision making, but they did try things and I think that was encouraging. Uh, you're like, you're starting from a low base when that's, you know, when, when you're taking positives from that, but look, same old monster. I think I could have written that match report on the flight over because it was just a classic kind of monster, you know, get out of jail in France, last gasp, try. I think you've got to give them credit for, for digging it out. I think, what was it? 72 minutes on the clock when Peter O'Mahony pointed to the corner and said a going for the posts I like I was sitting there going surely you're going to take the points and then get back up to Fitch. I couldn't believe they went for the corner and that was even before that cast stole the line out. So um, they show good character uh, to get back back up to pitch and, and win it through the Gavin Coombs try. I think Jack Crowley, I was really impressed with him actually. And you probably wouldn't have seen it on TV, but cast were giving him plenty off the ball and he was more than happy to give it back. He's got a little bit, uh, he's got something about him, got a bit of a swagger that I really like. He kicked really well. Like I said, not the easiest conditions to be kicking in the crowd were baying for blood every time that he was lining up a kick. Um, Ty Byrne, I thought was outstanding. And so was Peter O'Mahony, by the way. Um, I think you really see the value of a guy like Peter O'Mahony in, in a game like that. Um, it was superb and opposition line out, superb mall defence. Um, but yeah, the Munster wouldn't be anywhere unless Tyke Byrne won that turnover penalty in near the end. What was it, 75 minutes on the clock? And I think his performances have been so good that I think even if even if James Ryan and Ian Henderson are both fit for the Wales game, I think Tyke Byrne has to start really personally for me anyway. Yeah, as you say, that, that last gasp turnover really decided the game in many ways. Luke, you know, what, what did you take of it? You know, it was interesting to see Stephen Larkham's press conference today and he kind of was having a back and forth with one of the journalists who was asking about whether Munster are lacking a bit of variety and he kind of put the journalist on the spot and was like, well, what exactly are you talking about and stuff like that? So he obviously was bristling a little bit at the criticism of their attack or, 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 or questions like that. But, you know, overall, what, what did you make of that game? Um. Yeah, I thought they were a little bit like I actually thought there was lots of good stuff in there. Um, 
I thought they were bad in casts 22. Uh, I thought they made a lot of handling errors. They tried like silly offloads, different things like that, where I felt like if they hung on to a few more of them uh, and kind of held onto the ball a bit more, um, I thought they might've got more dividends and they might've actually been able to build some kind of score and capitalize on pressure at different times. Um, I think when they decide to play, I think there's definitely, there, there's, there's, there's no lack of ability there. They're certainly able to do it. Um, I feel like they probably made a decision that they don't like the stats around their own 10 meter line when you decide to run it. And that's why I think they, they literally go to nine and that gar- and that box kick like all the time. I think they feel like, you know what, we'd rather like the chances of us giving away a penalty if we hang on to the ball here and try and get into their uh, 10 meter is, uh, you know, is, is probably greater than, um, you know, the other way around. So, and I feel like they just off the back of that, they just don't like to take any chances there. Like I would personally prefer, and I think Lancer do this quite a lot, um, is I think when they're in that position with any kind of momentum, they they think that they can actually get continue to get momentum and get into the opposition's 10 meter line and force penalties there. Uh, like force penalties in there from the opposition, giving them away in, in, in defense. Whereas I think Munster feel the other way about it. And they're a bit more conservative there. Um, will be my view. That's why I think they go they go to that all the time, particularly when they don't have any uh, momentum coming into that area of the pitch. So uh, I thought it was interesting to hear Larkin be so defensive about it. I'm not I'm not surprised he was defensive about it. He has to defend his work. Um, I would be. He called them misinformed. I think was the quote, wasn't it? Like I'm not sure that that's right. I think you still. Whatever stats he's looking at, I still think they look like a conservative team from an attack perspective, particularly around the middle of the pitch. Um, just to tie into what I was just saying there, um, I feel like they they don't want to give away any penalties there while while in attack or while hanging on to the ball on that part of the pitch because they don't feel like it's they, they, they don't like whatever stats they're looking at. They don't like, um, and I think he's got to take responsibility for that. He is the attack coach, and and. You know, if he was to you know put up some stats and say, well, look, this is why, you know, I, look, I, I, I'm sure he could probably convince us why, but I still would like to see them, given what they have on the pitch, just play a little bit more around that part. Like, that's the best part of the pitch to attack because particularly with that new kicking rule, um, that 50-22, I think, you know, most teams, if they're not respecting you, yes, do kick for that space. But if they are respecting, they're holding people back, you've got to back those guys to be able to get the ball into areas where you can stress the opposition at least, you know? But Luke, isn't that isn't that the point? Isn't that the key point in all of this? Is that Munster do have like they have the players? That is the most frustrating thing. We're not talking about a limited backline here. That you know, like there's just no point in in using them. Let's go to the kicking game. Uh, like you said, like it's pretty much okay. Jack Crowley was playing, but it's pretty much an international quality backline that that they had out. Uh, Rory Scannell has been capped too. So I think that's the frustrating thing. I mean. Imagine being a guy like Keith Earls or Andrew Conway, you know, and you're looking at everyone else, you know, and even we're talking about Six Nations, like they don't get much of a chance to showcase what they're about compared to compared to other guys who are vying for the spots on the wing. I mean, like I mentioned, it was minus three at times. They were going getting bloody properly freezing out there, standing there trying to get the ball. But even I think of... Do you think, Ian, can I ask you on that? Do you think they get lured into playing a little bit? I think the box kick is probably what we're all talking about here, isn't it really? Do you think they get lured into that because Andrew Conway is so good in the air? Zebo is very good in the air. I think Keith Earls has really improved his attacking chase of, of, of box kicks. They also have had Connor Murray there for so long, who is just the, probably the best, well, I would say he's probably the best box kicker in the world. I, I don't think, I don't say that too lightly. I think he's brilliant at it. 
do you think they get lured into doing that because it's it's probably a strength for them too yeah like i mean look they're playing a south african style of play like this this sounds like we're like repeating the same things we've been saying about ages they're playing a south african style of play without having the south african pack and that look that has become very clear even thanks to victor matfield who spilled the beans on a conversation he had had with johan van gran was pretty revealing as well in that you know he, he made the point that they haven't had jason jenkins and orgy snyman basically we haven't had the pack to be able to bully other teams so to me then you have to shift in terms of what you're doing. Let's try and play to different strengths. Okay, we don't have the pack to do what the Springboks do. What can we do with this pack? What can we do with the this backline? And I think that's been one of the most frustrating things of the time that Stephen Larkin has been in charge and of the attack and Van Gran. And like the reality is, it's not going to change from now until those guys leave at the end of the season. It's absolutely not. So it's just the way it is. Munster are going to have to see it out for, for the next six months. But I think whoever comes in next and as head coach, director of rugby, attack coach, whatever it may be, they've got a big job in their hands, I think, to change the mindset of the players because they've been so kind of tuned into a game plan that just has, it doesn't suit them um, at all. So the, the, that's what I say. The most frustrating thing is that they have the players and we just don't see enough of it. Like, think back to the the play that Munster played when Rory Scannell put in the crossfield kick for Keith Earls off a scrum inside Munster's own half. They recycled, made great ground down the left. Mike Haley involved too. And then Jack Crowley puts another crossfield kick across the way. Like, that kind of clever set-piece move attacks, we just haven't really seen much of that at all. And, like... It wasn't a strong cast team either. That's the thing. It's worth mentioning. It's obviously a tough place to go, but that was far from their their first team. So um, they got out of jail. Um, that, like They should win at home against Wasps. They're set very well in Europe, but I suppose probably similar to what I said about Ulster, I still feel that when Munster, particularly if they're on the road um, in the latter, latter stages, um, if they come up against a Toulouse or you know, someone like that, I think that they'll still have the their number because Munster haven't shown enough evolution despite what Stephen Larkin had came out with today. That would be my opinion on it. That's been probably my opinion. I've been consistent, I think, with you lads as well in saying that over the last couple of years, but it's not going to change from now until the end of the season. Um, it's over the summer, I think, where, where the major work is needed for everyone who comes in. Well, well, the big takeaway from all this for me is that if you ever want to get something off your chest, don't tell Victor Matfield because he'll go straight on national TV and be like, I just had a private conversation with this guy. And let me tell you, he's not happy. The South African knitting circle. Yeah, Jesus. Yeah, I don't I don't think he talked about super sport over here. Um, (laughs) uh, Just to finish up uh, before we let we, we, we finish for the evening. Just before we came out air, Luke, the, Barry Kinsler was saying that Lancer eyeing up Jason Jenkins, the Munster sec, uh, Springbok second row to join at the end of the season. To, to, to fill maybe a, a hole a second row. Jack Dunn is on his way out. You're shaking your head already. Are we going to get your opinion on it? Well, no one else can see me shaking my head, but I, I it annoys me. Like, um, you know, you look at Jack Dunn then, you know, I mean, was he, what's, I, I don't get, like, he's a kind of big, he seems, to be, guy. he seems to be on his way to Exeter by all accounts. Yeah, that's, what it, that's the word. Like, he looks like a big, heavy guy. He looks, does he not fit the bill there? Um, like, I don't know, like letting someone like that go. And maybe he wanted to go. Maybe he's looked at the situation and saying, you know, I don't think I can get into that Lancer team. Um, 
yeah, I don't know. That one doesn't seem right to me either. Like I like Leinster. Like, do Leinster need that? Do Leinster need to be going? Like, I don't think they need to be going abroad for these players. Like, it's Jason. Like, like Scott Fardy was a serious, serious rugby player. Like, I can, I can get behind a Scott Fardy. I can get behind a Doug Howlett. I can get behind a Vermeulen. I cannot get behind a Jason Jenkins. Don't that's that to my mind is like what what there's something wrong with that now maybe they're kind of blocked in what they can do but like Jesus like get get a get a get a Rolls Royce in get a guy who's going to lift the standards when your internationals are away don't be getting someone like I I don't know that that one seems like that annoys me now and like replacing probably a young Leinster lad with probably a, a competition the URC is less com- like less game time for Leinster young Leinster players as it is. Like, why would you be getting someone like that in? Get it, get a. If you're gonna do it, get a, you know, get a, a real sterling guy in. I, I don't like get a proper, uh, like an international guy, maybe at the end of his career, all the experience, still a great player, pay him a load. No, I don't have as much of a problem with that. But I don't know. Geez, that one seems like a bad. I don't. Is that true? Is it? Is it strong rumors? Is that? Yeah, or Murray is that Kitsa just you? Just yeah, like, Murray Kitsa was reporting that it was a, uh, it was happening in the summer. Well, it's not. It's. Time yeah, like, and to be fair, Murray's usually on the ball, but it's no secret that Leinster have been looking for, I mentioned this a few weeks ago to you guys, they've been looking for a tight headlock, a big heavy lock for a while. I think, uh, I think I saw... But Bert- I think it was made out, Keen, that as Luke said, it would have been a marquee name. Like, like people were, you know, expecting maybe like a... a- and even Etzibeth or, or, you know, someone along those lines. Absolutely. I think I saw Bernard Jackman in his Sunday Independent column a few weeks ago as well, uh, Lincoln Leinster to uh, Chris Vui from Bristol. So you wouldn't say he's a sort of a marquee name as well. So maybe this is the market that they're in. Um, I would just add as well, like I totally agree with Luke. Like I was very critical of Munster signing Jason Jenkins. I would be equally as critical as well. Like the other thing to mention, apart from, leaving Jack Dunn, which I don't, I don't get either. Like I, I was at the a Leinster development team played the Ireland under twenties a few weeks ago. And I was at the game and Jack Dunn picked up an injury actually in the game, but he's such a big unit. And I'm surprised someone like Leo Cullen, they've obviously seen something far more, you know, trained eye than I do that, that they just don't rate, but I'm surprised they haven't given him more of a chance. But um, yeah, like I, like what I said, I was embarrassed in all this. What, like what, 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 that's that's the thing. And sorry, the, the one the one point I want to make is Jason Jenkins has played 18 minutes, I think, since he's come to Munster. So like you're rolling the dice in a guy who has had serious injury problems since he's come. So he's supposed to be class like on his day. But Munster, certainly it's, it's been a bad signing for Munster in terms of return on investment when you look at how how little he's played. So. I don't know. Like, I think it's a very strange signing as well. And all the things I said about Jason Jenkins signing for Munster, I would say the same things about him signing for Leinster. I think I agree with both of you lads. Like, you will saying that if you're going out getting an Exhibit or whatever, you can understand that. But I don't know. I, I, I don't get this. I don't think I don't think they really need him either. Yeah, well, I suppose we'll have to wait and see if it, if it comes to pass. But for now, we have this weekend's Champions Cup games to look forward to. And I thank Luke Keane for joining me tonight. Thanks, guys. Cheers, lads. That's all we have time for this week on The Left Wing. We will be back next week with another show. And in the meantime, you can subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or listen on independent.ie. So until next time, thanks for listening and goodbye.